you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open up to Hebrews chapter 13. You may be seated and grab your Bibles and open up to Hebrews chapter 13. As we continue on in our day-to-day difference sermon series, we're continuing on in Hebrews 13 after last week. We started a couple weeks ago in Ephesians 4, looking at how we talk to one another, our daily language. We talked about our relationships, how we relate to one another. And then we talked last week about authority. Why do we do what we do on a day-to-day basis? And so this week we're going to continue on in Hebrews chapter 13, looking at a specific topic. Hebrews 13, beginning with the first verse. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The word of the Lord. You would have guessed that she was being mistreated very badly. There were Oreos flying and there was a lot of screaming right there in the middle of the grocery store. You would have thought that her needs were not being met. Yet, she had just received everything that she had asked for. Yet her behavior indicated that basically everything was nothing. I had been grocery shopping with our daughter, and usually she's decently behaved while grocery shopping, but likes to grab just about anything. And this time I gave in and I thought, all right, you can have an Oreo thing. And just one Oreo, unless she a little bit wanted a little bit more, I said, all right, well, just carry the package of Oreos and have an Oreo. So she's got everything she wants, yet... She sits in the middle of the aisle, throwing the Orioles and screaming hysterically. How is that possible? You've been given everything, yet you behave as though you have nothing. There was a philosopher who wrote a, wrote a book entitled, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And in the book, the author wrote that, Give a man everything he wants, and at that moment, everything will not be everything. At that moment, everything will not be everything. Isn't that true of you and I today? That actually, if we we looked at it from the perspective of God, if we look at God's perspective of you and I today, that maybe what God actually sees is a bunch of children sitting in the grocery store throwing Oreos and screaming. Even though we have everything, we act as though we have nothing. One of the greatest struggles you and I face today is greed. That to want more and more and more. That to get, to get more and more and more. I don't know about you, but greedy is a tricky little sucker. Because when's the last time anyone came up to you and said, I'm really struggling with greed today? You know, it's really obvious when you're committing adultery. It's right in front of you. But greed is sneaky. Greed just kind of slithers in, and you don't even really know you're in it. 
or you're actually experiencing greed. Because what we end up doing is we end up entering into the comparison trap. The moment we might think we're getting a little bit greedy with something, we automatically say, well, man, look at them. They, they did it. They got it. Why not us? And so that comparison trap actually frees us to continue in the greed. Yet, God calls us to live a life free of greed and experiencing contentment. This morning, as we talk about our day-to-day life, that which should make the day-to-day difference, we need to turn our hearts and our minds to possibly the biggest issue, the M word, money. Nobody likes talking about money. I don't like preaching on money because everybody's defenses go up. I don't like preaching on money because then they're like, oh, the pastor just wants to get paid more, da 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 and it and then a lot of people outside the church don't want to come to church because the church just wants their money. And it just, it's not fun to talk about. It's not fun to preach about. Yet, all throughout Scripture, everywhere, we see the issue of money addressed. Time and time again, we see Jesus address it. It's all throughout the Old Testament. It's in the Proverbs over how we handle our finances. We need a realignment, though, when thinking about money. And the realignment we need is we don't need more little tactics or or practical ideas of how to handle money. What we need is we need a shift. We need a shift of our hearts, a shift of our minds, a shift away from want, 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 get, 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 a shift to contentment. Basically, we need a realignment. The realignment that we need is that money cannot deliver that which we only get from God. Money cannot deliver that which we only get from God. And the challenge for you and I today is that we live in a society where every day we're challenged to get more. Every day you hear advertisements. Those advertisements have one goal, to get you to buy something. Even the nicest organization in Sioux Falls that's advertising, they're not advertising out of the goodness of their heart. They're not like, oh, let's just give Kelloland some money during this holiday season. No, they're trying to get you to do something because they believe that you need to do something to get happiness. And so we're constantly flooded with all of this get, 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 want, want, want. And how is it possible that in the midst of all of that messaging, in the midst of living in the day-to-day where we are dominated by stuff, how can we possibly walk by faith and experience contentment? And as we talk about contentment today, the first thing we need to do is we need to understand what contentment is. Because I would contend that we've actually come to a bad understanding of contentment. Both of, a lot of us would understand contentment on just learning to live on a little less. Learning to, learn, learning to live driving a secondhand car. Learning that it's okay to not buy the newest contraction. Contrap, contraction, contraption thing. I'm working on my language today thing. We, we, we learn to live on less. And that's basically what we think contentment is. Well, I, I don't have to have the best. I can live a little simpler life. That's not contentment. One can live a simple life and still not be content. Still want a little more and a little more. Because how are you defining simple? You're defining simple by looking at someone else's life. And you're saying you're living simply because, well, they've got a bigger house. They always buy the new car. And so we've come to find contentment as the ability to live a little on a little less. Think of it this way. 
when you buy something new and someone comes up to you and is like, hey, saw you got a new truck. What's usually our first response? Well, hey, it had 12,000 miles on it. They're driving it up from the dealer in Iowa City. Got a really good deal on this vehicle thing. Right? Because we, we don't want the person to think like, geez, thing must be going really well for them. We want to come across as though, yeah, we can live on a little less. Now, yes, it's good to live simple thing. And actually, Christians, they could argue from the Gospels and the New Testament should be living simply if we took Jesus' commands seriously, yet living simply is not contentment. Contentment is basically being satisfied. And when we think of contentment, we need to think of it as not having a couple of things. So to be content first is not to have complaints against the provision. If I'm truly content, I'm not complaining about that which has been provided to me. And so true contentment would not be complaining about the double-stuffed Oreo that I have that's been provided. And true contentment is not only not complaining, but true contentment is also not desiring the more pleasurables. One is only content when you're truly not desiring more pleasures. So contentment is enjoying the double-stuffed Oreo, not desiring the double-stuffed Oreo that has the orange cream instead of the white cream but fully, fully satisfied with the double stuff that you have. True contentment is not complaining about the providence. True contentment is, is experiencing where we don't have desires for the more pleasurable things. True contentment is a life free of anxiety. You might live a simple life, yet you are dominated by worry and anxiety. That's not contentment. Contentment is experiencing satisfaction in God alone, where there is no worry because we've heard the command from God, fear not. You know, the only, the only time we're really commanded to fear in the Bible is when it says, fear the Lord your God. It's the only time we're really commanded, fear God. That's the only person that we're supposed to fear. We should not have a fear of where things come tomorrow. That fear leads to worry and anxiety. But rather, our fear of the Lord produces in us a trust in the providence of God. Contentment is living without complaint. Contentment is living without the desire for the next latest greatest. Contentment is, is living without anxiety and fear. And that's what God is calling us to this morning. That's what God is, is asking of us. And it's, and it's more than just asking. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. This is not a suggestion. God is not saying, hey, yeah, I got a better idea. Instead of loving money, how about this path here? This is a command. He's saying, be content. Be satisfied. And so how do we cultivate a life of contentment? How do we cultivate this life of satisfaction? Well, it begins by putting to death the previous life that talked about at the beginning of the verse. Keep your life free from the love of money. In other words, we need to put to death greediness. We need to put to death the want for more and more. And there's only one way that Scripture says to do this. And you know the answer. It's the church answer that comes every time. It's because it's the right answer. Give. You want to get rid of greed? There's only one way to do it. Give, give, give. And when we talk about giving, we need also a realignment and understanding of money and giving. Because really, when we give to the Lord, it's almost really not giving. It's actually returning. Follow with me for a second. 
In the Bible, they have the thing called the tithe. The tithe is where you set apart 10% of your income right off the top to go back to the Lord. In the Old Testament, multiple times, God gets after the people of God and says, why are you robbing me? Well, when you look at that statement by God robbing you, we're bringing in our crop. This is our crop and we're bringing you an offering. How can you say we're robbing you? The reason God makes the statement that we're robbing him is because God owns it all. Think of it this way for a second. Let's say I came to you and I borrowed your chainsaw. You said, yeah, hey, I'm done trimming the trees. Take the chainsaw. Go ahead and use it. About a year later, I came back and I said to you, hey, you know what? My wife and I have been really praying and thinking about this. And um, we want to give a gift to you and your family. We want to give you a chainsaw. And, um, and we've been praying too. And because we've been really challenged lately to, to be generous. So what we'd like to do is um, we're going to fill it up with gas. We want to give you a fully fueled chainsaw. And, and our kids have really been challenging us to do something special during the Christmas season. So we're going to step out in faith here. Um, we're going to give you a, a bottle of chain oil along with it. Just, just take it, please. Take it. No thank yous. Just take the chainsaw. How many of you would walk away going, that person is nuts. <laughs> That's my chainsaw. Same with God. God owns it all. The whole argument of Scripture is that God gives us the ability to get whatever we get. Therefore, whatever we get, God owns. And therefore, when we give, all we're really doing is returning to God what is God's. This morning, we need to be challenged to return to God what is God's. I'm not crying out this morning, everybody needs to return to King of Glory what is King of Glories. No, no. If, you, if you're this morning like, oh, I don't want to give to you, then find a missionary and give to a missionary somewhere. But we need to return to God what is God's thing. And this morning, that percentage might be different for everyone. That percentage might be 17%, 10%, 3%, but we need to start by setting aside right off the top an amount right back to God because it is God's. That's a challenge for us today. But the, the truth underlying the whole thing is that God owns everything. When we come to understand that, the whole concept of tithing and giving just completely shifts. Because I'm no longer an owner, I'm a manager. The question for all of us this morning is this, are we faithful managers of God's resources? Are we faithful managers of God's resources? What most of us call generous is actually just returning to God what is God's. This morning, God is saying, hey, step up to the plate. Not because God needs it, but because God owns it. And, and then God's work is advanced when his funds are returned to him or his gifts are returned to him. And this is a challenge for us today. But I challenge all of us to spend some time in God's word and to understand the truths behind the teaching of giving and tithing. That God owns everything. But now it gets even a little bit crazier. So God owns everything and it's a return to God, but the fuel for giving is grace. If we read the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and encouraging them to give. He does not say, hey, you need to give X amount of dollars and do it now based upon my apostolic authority. 
what he does is he says, you need each person to decide in their own heart what they're going to give. Not out of compulsion, but rather out of gratefulness, to give with a cheerful heart. And then he goes on to explain that the motivation for the giving is Jesus Christ, that though Jesus, who was rich, became poor on our behalf. You see, the fuel for our giving, the fuel for returning back to the Lord, is not a demand, but rather it's God's grace. And when we experience God's grace, when we experience what God has done on our behalf, all we want to do is give back to Him. And in the midst of Christmas, all of the glitz and the glamour, what actually gets lost in it all is God's grace. Christmas is not about the gifts. Christmas is not about the lights. Christmas is not about that nice glass manger scene you have at home because the glass manger scene is wrong. The glass manger scene does more damage than it does help because Jesus did not come to a palace. Jesus came to a stone manger in a stable. He was born next to a donkey and who knows how many mice were running around the place. Jesus left the riches of heaven. Jesus left a palace a kingdom. And he came and was born in a stable. And it's not like after he was born in the stable, he said, hey, mom and dad, I deserve a little better. Because after he was born in the stable, they were on the run for two years that they could have their lives saved. And then after Jesus was dedicated in the temple, it's not like Jesus said, okay, Mary and Joseph, let's step up to the plate here a little bit and go somewhere nice. No, Jesus continues to live a simple life, the life of a carpenter. And it's not just a middle-class life of a carpenter. It's a life of interacting with everyone and anyone. Jesus goes into the communities, and Jesus does not come with red carpet laid out for him. But Jesus goes and interacts with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Jesus goes where you and I are unwilling to even think about going. And the whole point is that Jesus left the richness of heaven and came and lived amongst us, taking on our poor nature for our benefit. That's the grace. That's actually the Christmas story, that God would take on human form. And it's that grace that should motivate us. When we think of the generosity of Jesus, Jesus leaves gold streets, gold streets, and he comes for an unpaved path and riding on a donkey. That's the generosity of Jesus. That's what should fuel your generosity and my generosity. It's not God's commands, but rather it's God's grace. It's God's greatness. Don't let the glitz and the glamour of Christmas lose God. Because Christmas is not found in the glitz and the glamour, but rather Christmas is found in the simple moments when we do what Jesus has done when we set aside our desires and look to the benefit of those around us. The glitz and the glamour of Christmas is found when we say, I no longer want, 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 but rather I want to give, 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 because that's what my Savior and my Lord has done. This is when we experience the life of contentment, when we leave behind greed because we've entered into a life of give, give, give. This morning, it's different for all of us. And this morning, all of us need to probably go back and just do a little examination and a little reprioritization and ask ourselves, am I giving as though God has given to me? 
God is asking us to put to death greed and rather experience contentment and satisfaction. And let's look here at Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6 to understand where this satisfaction comes from. This satisfaction, verse 5. So why is it that you and I can be content? Look with me at verse 5. Be content with what you have. For, underline that for if you have your Bible with you. I say this all the time. What's coming next is the explanation clause. What's coming next is the reason for the statement previously. So be content. Why? Because God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The reason we can be satisfied is not because we're going to have our needs met. Notice that it does not say that here. It does not say our needs will be met. Actually, it almost says the opposite because if you look at verse 6, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can humans do to us? Humans can take away our needs. Humans could come today and take away our food, our clothing, our housing. Humans could and then take our life. Yet, God says we could still be content without all of those needs. That makes no sense. Think. That it, logically, that doesn't make any sense. So how is it true? It's true because it's God that we get. Notice in verse 5, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The reason that we can experience satisfaction is not because our needs are met and we get our wants, but rather because we get God. We get Jesus Christ. The goal of the gospel is not that you and I get to heaven and experience no illness. The goal of the gospel is that you and I get God. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 1 Peter 3.18. We're right in the middle of a paragraph here, but we're in the middle of an explanation paragraph where we get to the, the key point. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the Spirit. Your translation might have a so that phrase in verse 18 there. So Christ died for us. Why? To forgive us. But it's not just a business transaction of forgiveness. Why did he forgive us? that he might bring us to God. It's a relationship. God died for us to bring us to God himself. The reason that we can experience contentment is because we get God. The gift of Christmas is God himself. Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus comes, we get God. And this morning, God is demanding of us that we experience satisfaction. And the reason he demands that of us is because he gives of himself so that the demand can be fulfilled. And basically, God is empowering that which he commands. God commands us to be content, and then what does God do? God says, here am I, have me. And that's what God is saying today to you and I. God is saying that we can have him, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. We may not get our needs, we may not get our wants, but we get the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We get the creator of the universe in his presence forevermore. That's where we get full satisfaction. When we are in relationship with God, we no longer complain about the provision. When we are in relationship with God, we no longer want more pleasures. When we are in relationship with God, we are no longer living trapped by anxiety, but rather we are walking by faith, experiencing peace and joy because we are in relationship 
with the creator of the universe. Today, if we took a high view around Sioux Falls, today, if we took a high view around the United States of America, Canada, Europe, all around, we might look down and we might see a bunch of kids in grocery stores throwing Oreos and screaming. Yet, because everything has become nothing to them. But today, you and I can have everything because everything is God himself. And when we have everything, we can experience satisfaction. And we no longer look to money to deliver what it cannot deliver because only God can deliver satisfaction. Come to the table this morning and get God. Come to the table this morning and get Jesus Christ himself to nourish you and strengthen you for a life of service to your, to your neighbor. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you this morning acknowledging that oftentimes we have had a mindset of want, want, get, get. God, right now we lay before you our hearts, our minds, our checkbooks. Lord, we lay them at your feet asking that you'd make us aware of areas where we're being greedy. God, convict our hearts by your word, by your spirit, by other people. And Lord, I pray this morning now that you would create a spirit of generosity among us, not for King of glory, but for the King of glory. And God, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your kindness with us. Thank you for giving of yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.